welcome to a new episode of ONS Energy Talks. My name is Inger Johanna Stenberg. For close to a year, we have seen a full-scale war in Europe, and already before February 24th last year, we saw an increasingly volatile energy market due to reduced gas flowing from Russia to Europe. Since that, the energy mix in Europe, and especially the countries uh, Europe buys energy from, has changed massively. Today, we're going to dive into some of the economic mechanisms and sanctions imposed on Russia, and such as the price cap on Russian oil introduced before Christmas. And we are very lucky to have with us one of the greatest experts on the Russian energy sector, Dr. Tatyana Mitrova. She has served as executive director at the Energy Center of the Moscow School of Management and as head of research in the oil and gas department in the Energy Research Institute of the Russian Academy of Sciences. She's now a senior research fellow at Columbia University Center on Global Energy Policy. Welcome, Dr. Mitrova. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Before we start, I wanted to walk through some of the key points we are going to address. Um, Since the full invasion of Ukraine in February, there has been changes to the import of Russian energy to Europe and the rest of the world. Embargoes, different measures such as the price cap has been discussed and planned for many months. And the challenge with full-on sanctions on a country that produces much of a commodity everyone uses, such as oil and gas, is that we see rapidly increasing prices. So in short, how do we balance decreasing the revenue for Russia and at the same time not increase the oil price? That's the conundrum here. We're going to start with a short, quick fire round to help us get started, um, Tatiana. Um, Let us get the basic facts in order. What types of embargoes or sanctions are we seeing right now towards the Russian energy industry? Oh, there there is a a long list of sanctions imposed. First of all, financial sanctions, which restrict uh, most of the financial transactions and payments to uh, involving any Russian uh, financial institutions. Then in March and April 2022, the US and the UK introduced embargo on the Russian crude oil and petroleum products. Later in August, the European Union has introduced embargo on Russian coal. Uh, There were numerous technological sanctions uh, imposed on the transfer of the critical technologies, including technologies necessary for the liquefaction of natural gas. And uh, the latest uh, introduction of uh, crude oil uh, embargo by the European Union on December 5th was accompanied by the measure which was probably uh, creating most of the discussions, which is G7 price cap on the crude oil. And in the beginning of February, uh, there is the next measure, embargo on petroleum products by the European Union and uh, G7 price cap on the petroleum products. So the sanctions are increasing month after month. And actually now it is on the Russian gas, which doesn't face any sanctions. Oil and petroleum products and coal are under very strict pressure. Let's go to the, it's a long, long list and it's hard to keep track on everything that happens. But in simple words, what is a price cap on Russian oil? It is a completely new mechanism which was never used before in the international trade or international uh, international sanctioning practice. 
uh, it is the price uh, which is fixed and uh, any transfers, any transactions above this price, which involve Western uh, shipping companies, insurance companies or trading companies are prohibited. They are banned. So uh, Russian uh, crude can be supplied to the markets only if it is sold at the price below the price cap, which is now fixed at $60 per barrel. This is the mechanism which guarantees on one side that Russian oil revenues are significantly decreased. On the other side, Russia still keeps sending its oil to the world, thus uh, preventing from the uh, oil price uh, going through the roof and uh, uh, supporting the uh, international economic growth. So indeed, it was a very difficult task to solve, on one hand, to guarantee security of supplies, on the other hand, to significantly reduce revenues. But so far, it seems that it works. Yeah, and have Russia responded? Yes, and uh, it took time. The uh, price cap was introduced on December 5th. A Russian response came out only on December 27th. And it was basically quite toothless, I would say. Uh, Russia has simply prohibited to mention price cap in the uh, contracts for crude supply. And it prohibited uh, to supply uh, oil to any country or company which has joined this price cap mechanism. But as uh, most of the G7 countries have already introduced embargo, uh, this measure actually didn't change much. Uh, so now it's more about uh, the wording in the contracts. But uh, I would say that uh, Russia has fixed this mechanism for the next five months, which suggests that they uh, that it could be reviewed in the future, that there could be more strict measures implemented theoretically. So I think it's not uh, the last wording. So now we have the the basics in order. There are many sanctions. Uh, in, in Maine, they have been on on oil and um, and coal, and also on some petroleum products, not on gas. Uh, and we know a little bit about the price cap, which is a completely new measure. Let's look a little closer. We were briefly talking about how the price cap has worked or not worked um, and the response. Are there other things? Have the other sanctions worked better, had more effect? Well, I think the embargo imposed by the European Union, the main customer uh, of the Russian oil, uh, it had quite significant effect, both in terms of volumes. So Russian supplies uh, to Europe uh, have disappeared basically by the end of the last year and Russia had to redirect its oil flows uh, to Asia first of all uh, but also this uh, disappearing European market was the most profitable one so the margins are also shrinking now Russia is uh, selling its oil at huge discounts 
and uh, currently the Russian Finance Ministry has uh, reported that the average crude price, crude export price uh, for the last month was just $48 per barrel. Compare it with the current oil price in the market and you can see that discounts are really significant, which means that Russian oil revenues are shrinking. So this uh, embargo coupled with the price cap, I think it's indeed uh, quite a significant measure. Technological sanctions are also working. So Russia is, is becoming more and more difficult for the Russian companies to obtain new technologies, to buy uh, new uh, installations and equipment. Uh, but actually it is Anyway, very slow process. You never expect sanctions to change the situation overnight. They are working slowly, but they are working. And uh, let's talk a little bit about where the crude oil now goes, because you mentioned Asia. It had a much shorter way into Europe. So how does that uh, work now that you need you will need ships in uh, quite a, a big number of ships to transfer uh, transport all the oil? And how does that affect the, I would guess when you say that the European market is more profitable than the Asian market, they are probably not able or willing to pay as much as Europe has done. How does that dynamic work? Indeed, uh, before the war, Asian market uh, was providing for maybe one quarter of Russian exports, uh, but uh, half of oil was going uh, to Europe. It was the closest, uh, the most profitable market. And by the end of 2022, as I've mentioned, European market has nearly disappeared. And now most of Russian oil goes to Asia, primarily China and India. Uh, also several countries in Southeast Asia, Turkey became more visible uh, consumer of Russian oil, uh, Latin America. So Russia has to diversify away from Europe. And uh, as you've mentioned absolutely correctly, uh, it means a much higher transportation, logistical costs, uh, simply for longer distances. Uh, but also these countries are actually interested in Russian oil only if these sales are accompanied with huge price discounts. And uh, they were quite successful in obtaining those price discounts. If you look at historical records uh, in March, in April, and then in December, they were reaching up to $30 per barrel. Of course, for the growing economies, uh, such a discount uh, to the global price is quite attractive. Um, and I would say at the same time that um, due to the G7 uh, price cap mechanism introduction, delivering oil to these remote locations became much more difficult because uh, Western companies are controlling uh, more than 90% of the international fleet and insurance services. So in order to supply this oil to Asia, you either have to use your own fleet, which is difficult. Russia was always relying on the international services uh, for shipping, or you need to use a Western fleet and report that your price is below $60 per barrel, which is again difficult due to the Russian counter sanctions and the general perception. 
or you have to sell below 60. And this is uh, actually taking away all your revenues and margins. So the situation, the pressure put on Russia in uh, crude oil sales is really felt. It is significant. So uh, now we talked a little bit about the crude oil, but we we uh, know that from petroleum there are many products. Uh, and there are, you mentioned briefly, that there will be some new sanctions uh, regarding petroleum products coming now in February. How does that look now in the next few months? You know, most of the experts I'm talking to uh, expect that this uh, price cap on the petroleum products will have much stronger impact on the Russian oil industry. Uh, the reason is uh, very simple. Most of the Russian petroleum products were going historically to Europe. The whole infrastructure it target, is targeted at Europe. And... Um, Russia, frankly, doesn't have a physical capacity to redirect those flows to Asia as it did with the crude oil, as I've just described. So for shipping of the petroleum products, you need different tankers, smaller size, different design. Russia doesn't have this fleet. Um, Russia doesn't have actually... Uh, uh, the um, pipelines for petroleum products, as it does for crude oil. Uh, there are no, th there is no uh, storage capacity for petroleum products, so it will be extremely difficult uh, to uh, redirect these flows from Europe to Asia, which means that Russia will have to reduce its petroleum product output. And you know, at the refineries, you have quite a, a complicated composition of different products uh, and uh, if you stop uh, producing uh, diesel or fuel oil it means that you will have to pr stop producing also aviation kerosene and gasoline so there will be an effect on the russian domestic market uh, of the petroleum products as well and Moreover, there will be an effect on the Russian oil production because if you can, if you reduce uh, refining, it means that you have to reduce crude oil output as well. So there is such a spillover effect, uh, and uh, we expect that it will be more felt uh, even than the crude uh, embargo and price cap. How fast do you think we will? see that uh, effect? Well, uh, I expect that for February and March, most of the um, <clears throat> supplies are already organized. Uh, there will be some reduction in the refinery's output, but it might be compensated uh, by the crude oil uh, export increase. Yes, Russia is now increasing its crude oil exports to Asia at bigger discounts, but higher volumes. And uh, then uh, already in the end of the spring, I think uh, some reduction in the oil output will become uh, inevitable, accompanied with the reduction of uh, oil revenues. Now we talked much about oil and the petroleum products, but what we haven't touched uh, much into is, is gas. And as you mentioned, there hasn't been sanctions in the same way on the gas export from Russia or import into Europe. But uh, as we see from all the graphs and all the statistics, uh, Europe does not want Russian gas and it's uh, it's decreasing uh, every minute and not very much Russian gas is coming into the European market now. But 
how does that look compared to the oil and and uh, petroleum products? Yes, the situation with gas supplies is completely different compared to oil and petroleum products. And uh, surprisingly, uh, the Western com- uh, the Western countries they didn't introduce embargo on Russian gas, which is completely understandable because Europe relies uh, relied yeah before the war on Russian gas. Uh, imports uh, it was the biggest supplier uh, providing for nearly 40 percent of the eu uh, imports so that was a significant amount and uh, nobody wanted to destruct it Uh, surprisingly it was russia which has actually stopped supplies uh, to europe first in uh, april it has demanded payments in rubles for the gas it is supplying some of the countries refused including finland bulgaria poland uh, netherlands and uh, russia has stopped supplying gas to them then uh, there were uh, sanctions imposed counter sanctions imposed by russia on several routes including poland so again europol gas f- fell under russian sanctions and all the supplies through yamal europe pipeline were stopped uh, in may and afterwards uh, there was a quite a long saga with disputes on the uh, gas turbines um, sanctions uh, russia was switching on switching off supplies via north stream uh, it switched them off in the beginning of september and then by the end of september uh, the pipeline uh, has exploded yeah so there was a sabotage uh, mysterious sabotage act and uh, the pipeline is no longer available so right now russian gas is flowing only through ukrainian transit amazing yeah under all these extensive bombing but still gas is uh, going to europe and through the turk stream these are the two only routes left and as you can imagine ukrainian transit is under strong threat so only uh supplies through turkey which mainly are going to hungary uh, to italy uh, are more or less guaranteed but turk stream is used at full capacity so there is no uh, possibility to further increase supplies so we see that it was russian act uh, i suppose that it was driven by the idea that european uh, politicians uh, facing winter uh, will uh, will be frightened and they will give up their support to ukraine which they didn't yeah but nevertheless this game uh, this uh, gas blackmailing has led uh, to the to the result when russia on its own has refused from supplying gas to Europe and has lost the most attractive, the most profitable and luxury market for its gas. And now we we don't know exactly when this war will end, hopefully um, soon. But how does that look for Russia? Um, they probably have to give in uh, uh, more than they are willing to, at least at the, this point uh, overall. But how does that look for gas from Russia and Europe? Do you see any future where they will come back and transport as much gas to Europe as before? 
We've just published a study at uh, Central Global Energy Policy of Columbia University on the future scenarios of Russian gas supplies to Europe. And there are some scenarios which envisage some growth of Russian gas supplies, but they require complete change of the geopolitical situation and peaceful treaty and change of the regime in Russia, which doesn't seem to be the likely outcome at the moment. The most likely scenarios with the uh, military conflict ongoing, either in the hot stage or more like as frozen conflict, uh, it means that uh, there will be most likely still supplies through Turk Stream and uh, potentially supplies through Ukraine, but uh, any additional um, supplies of Russian gas to Europe are not likely. Maybe also some LNG flows from Russia will keep their positioning in Europe, but nothing else. Uh, it is not acceptable for the European uh, consumers, and actually it is not acceptable under the, the new Russian sanctions regulation. So there is a dead end and uh, basically the longer this conflict lasts, the lower are chances for the Russian gas industry to restore any part of its former presence in the European gas market. This uh, is definitely a topic where things are happening very, very fast. Uh, it will be interesting to see and especially when the, um, the new sanctions on petroleum products come now in February um, and how they will work in the long run. Um, thank you very much, Tatiana Mitrova. Uh, appreciate it. Thank you. This podcast was part of the ONS Energy Talks. My name is Inger Johanna Stenberg. Stay tuned for more insight and analytics into the energy industry by subscribing to ONS Energy Talks, where you find your podcasts.